Well, like Corey says every Sunday, if you got a Bible handy, get a hold of it. Um, if you use your phone, you need to open to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. My name is Mark Kaplinger, by the way. I'm so excited to be with you. Uh, thank you, Corey, for giving me the opportunity to do this. You know, Corey is amazing. You guys really have one of the best young preachers, I believe, uh, there is. Um, and not just because he invited me, but anyway. All right, let's read together. And I'm using my phone, by the way, because I can't see very well at my old age, so I have to do it this way. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So he's already kind of warming us up for the fact that he's teaching us to do something a little different. Do not do like this, but do it like this. And so let's, uh, I want you to read the actual Lord's Prayer with me, if you would. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some older texts include the last part, which this version does not have, uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then Jesus goes on to say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much for this beautiful day and this opportunity to be here to hear your word. We ask that you will touch every heart, every eye, every ear, and God, allow us to hear your voice this morning. Teach us to pray. As the disciple in the version in Luke requested, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he gave this prayer. Lord, I pray right now that you will teach us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we actually get into the prayer, I want to start with a couple of points that I think are foundational to how we pray. Uh, it's important, first of all, to know who you are. Our identity is critical. Uh, Corey touched on this last week uh, when he preached from, or I guess it was a couple weeks ago, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. It says there, But you 
are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you know that you're special? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He's calling us from one place to another to be identified with him. We are God's children. When we come to God in prayer, it is incredibly important that we remember who we are. And just as important, may probably more important, that we know who God is. Do you know him this morning? He says we are chosen, royal, and holy. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. He loves us and wants a relationship with us. And a relationship requires constant communication to be successful. That's why we need to pray. That's how we communicate with God. We pray. So the sec- first thing is our identity. You've got to know who God is and know who we are. The second thing is we need to change the way we think. This only happens through Christ. You know, the world kind of thinks one way. We have been called through Scripture to think another way. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to change the way we think. We need God to help us to think like Jesus. And this leads me to a very important verse. I think it's actually the first recorded message in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The word repent there literally means to change the way you think. It's the first thing that Jesus said as as a preaching type of a sermon to whoever was listening. Repent. Change the way you think. Um, This is so important. And he says, for the kingdom of heaven is near. How near is the kingdom of heaven? It's pretty near. If you're a child of the kingdom, you need to think differently than the world does. Here are just a few examples of some things that when Jesus showed up on the scene, things were done a little differently. First of all, he was born of a virgin. Who had ever done anything like that before? And also with that, we are challenged right at the very beginning. Do, can I even believe this is possible? Can I believe in this God who born of a virgin? It doesn't make any sense. He was born in a manger. He is the king of kings, the Bible calls him, the Lord of lords, born in a manger. He lived in poverty. He was baptized by John, and John wanted to argue with him, no, I should be baptized by you. But Jesus allowed John to baptize him. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Does that make sense to you? He said, you have heard it said, but I say. He he said that in reference to murder, adultery, divorce. 
uh, an eye for an eye. He said, you have heard it said to commit adultery is worthy of judgment. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you are just as guilty. He's trying to change the way we think. Most of the Sermon on the Mount is paradoxical in nature. It's a paradox. It's something that seems like it should mean one thing, but it actually means something else. He said to love your enemies. He said instead of seeking to do life as we see it best, he said to first seek the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves are where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is about a matter of the heart. That's why he's trying to get us to change the way we think. It's about your heart. And so your identity, everything, who you think God is, we need to change the way we think. It stands to reason that if Jesus is trying to change the way people think about so many things, that he wants us to change the way we think about prayer as well. We should ask God to teach us every day to pray, like the disciple in the Gospel of Luke said, Lord, teach us to pray. I want to encourage you from this day forward, if you think you struggle with prayer, you're not sure you know how, or it's difficult for you, just start your prayer like that every time. Lord, teach me to pray. And this prayer that we're going to get into here is really a guide. It's, it's not meant to be the only prayer that we pray. Uh, it's, it's just a guide. These disciples knew how to pray. They prayed every day back then. It was part of their culture. They prayed all kinds of prayers. But one of them came to Jesus and said, Lord, you teach me to pray. He must, he must have thought, this Jesus is different. He's got a connection with the Father. I want to have that kind of connection. And so teach me, Lord, to pray. And so Jesus said, okay, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He starts with an Our Father. Just think about that for a moment. Until this point in history, in all of Scripture and history, Nobody ever prayed like that. They weren't allowed to. This idea of talking to God like that was unacceptable. He's the Lord. He's God. He's Yahweh. He's the master of the universe. And yes, he is. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. It's about a relationship. Do you see that? If he's my Father, who am I? I'm a child of the king. Praise God Almighty, I'm a child of the king. Do you know that? Do you know him? Do you know him as your father? It's about a relationship. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. 
That's one of my life verses. Be still and know that I'm God. He's talking about contemplation there. Do you know him? When you come to him in prayer, you need to pause and reflect on who you're talking to. Do you know him? (laughs) He's an amazing God. He loves you. He cares deeply about every little detail of your life. In fact, he knows every detail of your life. He knows what you're going through, whether good or bad. And he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. I am a child of the king. That's about our identity. You understand that? Who I am. When I come to God in prayer, I need to receive that whole idea of who I am. We need to change the way we think. On January 7th, 1855, at about 20 years old, C.H. Spurgeon, how many of you ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon? He opened his sermon with the following. I love this. This is so cool. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. He goes on, the most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity, nothing. He says, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of a man as the devout earnest continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Do you know him? He goes on. (laughs) This is so good. Oh, he says, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea. Get, be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout pondering upon the subject of the Godhead. (laughs) Do you know him? He wants us to come, to come before him and pray. Do you know him? He says, our Father in heaven. Well, we mentioned before heaven. Where is heaven? Anybody? (laughs) Heaven is all around us. Jesus, when he came, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was talking about himself. He's the king of the kingdom. He is near, he said. He said in another place, when the Pharisees were arguing with him, he said, or they were accusing him of casting out demons by the spirit of the, of the devil, basically. And he said, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. <laughs> He's the king of the kingdom. He is here. He said, 
or when he was born. Remember when he was born? He was called Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. He is with us. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And surely he said at the end of Matthew, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. If he is near, then the kingdom of heaven is near, right? Here's one of my favorite verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. You should write that one down, by the way. That verse deserves steady study. It says there, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now he's talking to believers here. So we are with him in the heavenly places. That kind of tells me if we're to pray, uh, may your kingdom come in the next passage, we are the kingdom come. If we follow Jesus and do what he says. So the kingdom of heaven is near. In the Old Testament, there's a name for God that says, I am the God who is there. I am the God who is there. Where? Wherever you are, that's where I am. God is everywhere. I like to tell people he is never nowhere. It's a kind of a double negative. He is never nowhere. He is always everywhere. Wherever you are, he is there. You can pray in your car. You can pray at home. You can pray in church. You can pray wherever you are. He is there. Hallowed be your name. This talks about where we praise God. Our Father who, I, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name, O oh God. We worship you today. We come to you as your children. We seek your will for our lives. You are my wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, my savior. You are my salvation. You are my righteousness. You are my hope for eternity. You are my life, my everything, God. When I come to this part in my prayer, when I, I use this prayer, by the way, all the time as my guide. But when I come to this part, I think of the names of God. Jesus goes by a lot of names. He calls himself the light of the world. Lord, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine in me. Let your light shine in and through me that I might be a blessing to others. Jesus, you are the bread of life. Feed me, Lord. Teach me, guide me, make me yours. The second part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We already said he is the king of the kingdom. Here we pray for his kingdom to be raised up and glorified today, right now. When I get to this part of the prayer, I pray for everybody. I pray for myself first. Some people don't think that's right somehow. But if I'm not right, how can I pray for somebody else? Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in me. Lord, have your way in my life. Teach me your ways. Guide me. Hold me. Give me strength for the day. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my wife, in my kids. Do you pray for your kids? 
You need to pray for your kids. Listen, this morning, if you get nothing else out of this message, the important part is to know that we need to pray. We live in a country that is falling apart. We live in a world that is desperate and broken. You need to pray for your kids. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my kids. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my neighborhood, in my loved ones, my church, in the schools and our colleges and universities. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Third part of the prayer, give us today our daily bread. I love this part. This one where I seek God, where I seek Jesus. Lord, give me today my daily bread. Yes, it is about food and clothing and the necessities of life, our finances and everything. But remember what Jesus said. He said, seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be given to you as well. So when I get to this part, I always come right to Jesus and I say, you are the bread of life. So Lord, when I, when I pray, give me today my daily bread, I'm praying, give me Jesus. I need more of Jesus. Anybody like that today feel like that? Lord, give me more of Jesus. I need Jesus. Lord, you are the strength of my life. You are my sustenance. I need spiritual food today. I need Jesus. Lord, give me today my daily bread. I encourage you to pray that with all your heart. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This one's a hard one. A lot of unforgiveness in the world today. A lot of brokenness, a lot of pain and hurt. A lot of bitterness and rage and anger. But we must forgive. If you do not forgive, you literally hold yourself in a prison cell of bitterness, resentment. And yes, I know some people have been hurt badly. I know sometimes it's somebody close to us that has said something that has offended us deeply. But Jesus tells us that we got to forgive as we forgive others. As we forgive others. That's, he's telling us we have to forgive. Look at the last part of that passage, verse 14 and 15. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. Do you see what that means? It puts a barrier between you and God. You can't pray through to him. You can't get through until you forgive. Look at what Jesus did on the cross to forgive you and me. None of us are perfect. The Bible clearly says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one is good. Not one is righteous, the Bible says, not even one. We need Jesus. 
If I could get my salvation on my own, he wouldn't have needed to die. But he did. He went through all of that for me and for you so that we could be forgiven. He paid the price for our sin. Shouldn't I be willing to let go of some hurt that somebody caused me in my life? And I know, again, I, I know this can be hard. But you've got to understand this one aspect. It puts you in a prison. Um, you're not free. God wants us to be free. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Don't you want to be free? Free to seek him, free to know him, free to walk with him, follow him, live for him. Free to live life to the full. Jesus said, the, the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. That's freedom. Freedom to know your identity and live in that. Know who you are and live like you know it. It's not about arrogance. It's about your identity, who you are. So you need to break out of that prison, just like we sang a moment ago, break the chains. When you forgive, when you really truly forgive, you'll know right away, wow, I feel great. I feel like a load has been lifted. He will set you free. You need to forgive. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is where we do spiritual warfare. How many of you know we got an enemy? I've been fighting against him for two weeks, the last couple of weeks, trying to get ready for this message. He's awful. And he's also around. He can't be everywhere like Jesus and God can, but he's around. And he hates you. He wants to destroy your life. The verse I just said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to rip you off. He wants to tell you, you got a good reason to not forgive that person in your life. He says, you're nobody. You'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. Don't talk to God. He doesn't care about you. He's a liar. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of lies, that he's been lying from the beginning. That's his favorite thing to do, is to lie to us. And so we need to fight against him. But remember, he is already defeated. When Jesus died on the cross, it says he took the keys of death and hell. He overcame the devil. He gave us victory through his work on the cross. And we have the authority to overcome. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, again, here's this thing. we got to think differently. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We must change the way we think about our enemy. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 
For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith in Jesus, faith in God, the work of the cross, that it's enough. Is it enough? People going around today, even church people, think they got to find something else, something else to satisfy. Jesus is enough. Do you believe that? Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We must realize our identity, identity and take a stand. Paul says we must close ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means putting on the full armor of God. How many of you have read that passage? The full armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. I'm not going to read that, but you can. Be clothed with the Lord Jesus. You can pray that in the Lord's Prayer. When you get to the part of where you talk about, Lord, you are the bread of life. Clothe me. Clothe me in, the, in you, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Make me a child of God. Make me look like a child of God. And the end part. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. This is part is kind of like starting or ending where we began. We need to praise God and thank him for everything that he's done for us and give him glory. God wants to be glorified. Do you know that? In fact, it's our job to bring him glory. We are supposed to bring glory to God. There's a catch. There's a catch to all this. He probably thought, ah, oh, I knew something was coming. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. <sighs> so this idea of praying our Father, Jesus said, nobody, nobody comes there except through me. What's he talking about? He's talking about what he, he did for you, the work of the cross, the resurrection, everything, all of it. His three years of walking on this planet, teaching the disciples, and they wrote it all down for us. Do you read your Bible? Do you know him? You got to know him. And when you know him, you can come to the Father. When you know Jesus and how much he loves you and gave his life for you, why would he do something like that except for the reason of love? Talk about love and what does love mean? That's love. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friend or his brother, his sister. We must surrender to him. We must receive the work of Jesus as the payment for our sin. And then you can pray, oh, Father, you see how it works? Because then you know him. You know who he is. You go to him and he hears you. The glory of God. Uh, Saint Irenaeus. This is one of my favorite quotes of all time. Is it up there? The glory of God is man fully alive? 
I like to say the glory of God is man fully alive in and through Christ because that's what makes you fully alive. When Jesus comes into your life, you invite him in. He comes and you become fully alive. Do you know that when God created each and every one of us, he had a plan, a specific plan for every one of us. And part of that, it includes being fully alive. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. When I am fully alive, I'm living for Jesus. There are things in this life that are pretty cool, and you might get excited about it. It's good. But nothing is better than this. The glory of God is man fully alive. I want to close with a quote from C.H. Spurgeon again. Uh, I don't know if this one's going to be. Yes, it is. I love this. Prayer pulls the robe down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he or she (laughs) who communicates with heaven is the man or woman who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. We got to pray, folks. God wants us to come. In fact, I think God is calling all of us all over the country today, right now, in this world, to pray like we've never prayed before. Will you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for bringing us here today and for your love and goodness, your mercy, and for everything that you have done, are doing, and are going to do in each of us. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray what Nehemiah said back in, uh, I think it's chapter 8, verse 10 in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Lord, give us joy today. Show us that you are joy. You are, you are all the fruit of the Spirit. You are everything. God, fill us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control for everyone, Lord. Fill us with you. Clothe us with the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.